Technology and the Christian life. This is where we're headed this weekend. This is what we're going to be talking about. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the, God, what the Lord has in store for each of us. If you have a Bible, probably the first place you need to go is Isaiah 54. We'll, we'll get there in just a little bit. But we need to do some groundwork. If I don't uh, collapse on the stage before uh, I do that. Isaiah 54 will be in verses 16 and 17. And that'll kind of just be a a theme verse for what's going on this weekend to give us an understanding of of who God is as it relates to technology. So uh, kind of the title for tonight's session is The God of Technology. The God of Technology. Uh, When we think about God, we think about the God of heaven and earth. We think about the creator. We often don't attribute uh, the God of technology to our God, right? We, we don't serve a pantheon of gods like the storm God or the river God or the, the forest God or the technology God, uh, but we have our hope and faith that there is one God and he is over all things, including technology. Now, when you and I think of technology, we often probably go right to smartphones or uh, social media or video games or things like that. But we got to remember that technology is way more broad, way more broad. So we need to ask the question on the front end of the weekend, what is technology? Yes, it's smartphones, it's apps, it's the internet, it's all of those things, but it's also air conditioning and vaccines and swords, right? I mean, all of these things are products that human beings have developed for specific purposes that otherwise would not exist. That's what technology is. Tony Reinke, a really thoughtful guy on this question, puts it like this. Technology is applied science and amplified power. Technology is applied science and amplified power. So what we creatures do to apply science or to apply our knowledge in order to amplify our ability to do something. So let me give you a great example of this. A sailboat is technology, right? Left to ourselves, we cannot cross certain waters, right? At some point, our arms are going to give out. We won't be able to swim that far. But if we can harness the things of nature, like maybe an animal skin or some wood, and put those things together in a certain way, we can create a product that gets us from A to B in ways that we never would have dreamed of before. That's technology, applied science and amplified power. So when we think about technology this weekend, yes, we're going to think about smartphones, we're going to think about video games, we're going to think about social media, we're going to think about kind of the key things in your, uh, in your generation. But God is the God of technology, not just the God over Silicon Valley, he's the God over all things. So we need to recognize what we are talking about, which leads us to to this idea of God's sovereignty over history. So you and I recognize that we're on a a timeline. We're, we're We're in a story that God is writing and has written to get us from creation to the new creation. We can read all about this in Scripture. From Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, we're reading a story that God has already written. 
And so he's in control. He is the author of the story. He is sovereign over all of these things. So when we think about human history, when we think about the the things that you and I as human beings have been a part of, have experienced, have done to one another or, or for one another, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God has been over it all. And that is no less true over technological progress than it is the migration of people groups or the development of certain societies or the founding of certain cities or the the writing of beautiful music. God is over it all. And we think sometimes that technology is this kind of threat to God's sovereignty. Let me give you a great example. In the 18th century, uh, the 1700s, it's kind of colonial era America, Uh, there were some uh, guys who thought, you know, I'm really tired of lightning striking our buildings and then bursting into flames. So maybe we should think of something that we can do to uh, deal with this lightning bolt, these thunderbolts, and uh, and maybe keep keep our buildings alive. Most preciously in these towns and villages would be the church. Because in those days, the tallest thing in a village would be the steeple of a church. So guess what's most likely to get smashed by a lightning bolt? The church building. And there are certain pastors and certain believers in those days <coughs> that believe that God sends those thunderbolts to judge a sinful people. Well, then they developed this thing called the lightning rod. And the lightning rod is just a piece of metal that grounds out. And so a lightning could strike. It hits that lightning rod And instead of the church bursting into flames, the lightning bolt gets grounded, everything is A-OK. And these pastors were really nervous. And they would say things like, if you take away God's ability to judge us in this way, then he will judge us in more severe ways. Now we hear that and we go, that sounds super goofy, right? Like as if the creation of a piece of metal on a building is somehow like thwarting God's eternal plans. Like, Oh man, like I was going to blow up that church today, but we put the metal on it, right? Like he's not like up in heaven freaking out because now he's got to figure out what he's going to do. Funny enough, a couple of years later, after most of the churches in New England put lightning rods on their churches, there was a major earthquake. And these pastors were like, I told you so. We knew this was going to happen. You should have listened to us, right? And so the point is, sometimes we get nervous especially as adults, when we think about the the generations to come, we think about your generation, we think about how fast technology is progressing, we get nervous at times because we think, man, things are going to go so fast, they're moving so rapidly, how how are we going to keep up? How are we going to be able to stay alive with all of these things going on? How are they not going to be just totally distracted from what's right and good and true? When in fact, God is just as sovereign over the viral popularity of TikTok as he is anything else. And we know that there's nothing new under the sun. And we know that the, that the creations of mankind are nothing more than a vapor, right? It's TikTok and be real right now. And next year, it'll be something else. The next year, it'll be something else. The next year, it'll be something else. And perhaps it might be a whole different genre or whole different sphere of how we interact with with one another. But God is sovereign over history and he's sovereign over technological progress. He's in control. Think about this. 
Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 begins with God's people, Adam and Eve, the crown jewel of his creation. Where? In a garden, surrounded by the beauty of nature, surrounded by all of these wonderful, magnificent things that God has made by his very word. And he gives Adam and Eve a task. He says, Adam, Eve, I want you to work and keep the ground. I want you to be workers and keepers. I want you to extend this garden that I've placed you in throughout all of Eden and extend that out. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with my glory. So here's the picture that God is giving Adam and Eve. I want you to take the vast beauty of the wilderness and bring it to order. Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. All right. I want you to take this land, this wilderness, and bring it to order. And I want you to extend it out to where now the wilderness that we see to the ends of the earth is no longer wilderness, but it is, it's ordered, it's made beautiful, it's changed into something even more beautiful. And we see the fulfillment of that story, students. When we get to the end of the book, we go to the end of Revelation and we find God's people with God, not in a garden, but in a city. Surrounded by culture. Surrounded by technology. Surrounded by things that human beings have endeavored to create out of the raw material of nature. Now, it's this beautiful wedding, right, of nature and culture, because the city is not just any city, it's a garden city. So the the most important thing in creation in that city is a tree, the tree of life, and a river, the river of life. But there's this wedding of the creation of what human beings are able to do, technology, and the creation that God has made by his very word. So again, God is the creator (coughs) over both creatures, and their creations. And God uses technology for his purposes. So you should be in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. I'll join you there. Just two verses here. Isaiah 54, 16 and 17. Isaiah says, under the inspiration of the Lord God, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says, behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. So stop there. God says, look, I created the smith. I created the one who now has the skill set and the knowledge to take these raw materials and make something ordered. In this case, a weapon for its purpose. Who uses the the blowing of coals to create this fire, to do what's called metallurgy, to work with these metals to create something that once did not exist. God says, I made him. I have also, he says, created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. 
So, so he's, he's saying through Isaiah, look, I, I made the smith who creates this product, this technological device, and I've created the one who will misuse it. I've created the smith, and I've created the ravager. And the, the thought, the idea behind this, he says in verse 17, no weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed. In other words, don't worry about the product. I'm the one who's made it. I'm the one who's created the person, who's made the thing. That thing is no threat to you because it's no threat to me. God made the smith and the ravager. He is sovereign over technological progress. He is just as sovereign over Silicon Valley. He's just as sovereign over Cupertino, California, where Apple is headquartered. He's just as sovereign over uh, the Red Mountain section of of Washington where Microsoft and Amazon and all these places are. He is, he is in control. Nothing is happening in, this play, in these places that catches him by surprise. That's not to say that technology doesn't have its own gospel. So we move now to the idea of the, the, the gospel of technology. So we think technology is, is progress. It's applied science and uh, amplified power, where we as human beings are doing something with raw materials to create something better, to remove some limits that we might have. Think about that sailboat once again. But technology, as a created thing, a thing that we create, has a knack for speaking back to us and telling us things that may or may not be true. So when we think about what a gospel is, gospel just means good news, right? And so the gospel is good news. Well, good news can't be good news unless there's a bad situation, right? If, if I told you, um, hey, uh, your mom's okay, you'd be like, cool. That's what I thought. I mean, like, I know she's okay. But if I told you right before that, Hey, your mom was in a really serious car accident. Your mom's okay. Well, now those words mean something totally different, right? That news has a context and now takes on a different kind of intensity. So when we think about gospel, we think about good news, we have to understand what's the bad news that this gospel is kind of invading. And the gospel of technology says, here's the bad news for you and me. We have limits. We are weak. We are dumb. We are limited by our energy, by our capacity. And so you know what we need? You know what the answer to our problems are? Efficiency. The answer to our problems are productivity. The answer to our problems are just knowledge. And so if we can just get enough knowledge to become efficient enough and productive enough, then the limits that we have on ourselves can go away. We can be limitless. This is exactly what some of the early humans thought. So flip back to Genesis chapter 11. We'll spin here just, just a moment. If we can just be smart enough and work hard enough and develop enough and be a productive enough and efficient enough, then we can create our own solution to our greatest problems. 
Genesis chapter 11. I don't know, Genesis is hard to find. <laughs> All right, we got it. Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Note, Shinar is Babylon. Same place. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now, if you were walking along a path and saw some bricks, you would not go, Huh, what a crazy development of natural erosion and time. You'd go, huh, somebody made something out here. Bricks are a product of technology. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for border, mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So listen to what they're saying. Come, let's get together. Let's work hard. Let's use the developments and the technological marvels that we've made with brick and mortar to create something that shows us that we can actually pierce heaven itself. We have no limits. We can do whatever we want because we've developed it. Technology has its own gospel, but as we know, the story of the Tower of Babel is not a story of human triumph. It's a story of God. Look at that next verse, verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. I have this picture in my mind of, of God almost having to like bend and crane over to see this little thing that they've made. They've made fools of themselves. They've, they've deceived themselves into thinking that they can actually solve this problem with their own strength, with their own ingenuity, with their own power. But we know that Babel, Babylon, ultimately is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Students, if we believe that God is sovereign and that His providence directs all things, then we can trust that all things are able to lead us to Him. The gospel of technology gets our eyes on us and says, what can we do to fix our problems? And if you know the story of the Bible, you know this is the lie that was spoken way back in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes as a serpent and goes to Adam and Eve and says, man, that tree looks great, doesn't it? And Eve says, no, we can't eat the fruit of that tree. We can't even touch it. Satan goes, no, you can have the fruit of that tree. God doesn't want you to have the fruit of that tree because if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. In other words, you, don't, you won't need him anymore. Through your own powers, knowing right from wrong, you'll have everything you ever need. You'll have everything you ever want. And the allure of technology in so many ways in our hearts and minds, whether it's our identity, the affirmation that we can find from other people, the influence that we can exert on other people, the kind of status that we might find ourselves, whether we're good at a video game or good at posting pretty pictures. The gospel of technology is whispering to us, if you would just work hard enough, and be good enough, and be smart enough, be pretty enough, 
we can give you what you want. We can give you what you're longing for. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And the same thing that caught Adam and Eve up, this idea that I can have life without God, I can have life in my own knowledge, in my own power, is the same lie that if we're not careful, technology will whisper to us. I mean, think about it. Those of you who have smartphones, where are you more like God than when you hold your phone and turn it on and see your home screen? You get to decide who gets to notify you. You get to decide what apps are on that screen. You get to decide what order they're in. You get to decide what goes on and turns off. You get to decide what you see and what you don't see. You get to decide who gets to talk to you and who doesn't get to talk to you. You get to decide who you want to talk to or who you don't want to talk to. You are like a king, sovereign over this thing. That is a dangerous idea to start to believe. And none of us grab onto smartphones and, and, and say, I want to feel like God, so I guess I'll get an iPhone. I, mean, I don't think that's anybody's calculus. They're probably going, I'd really like to have TikTok. That's pretty fun. Or like, all my friends play, play Fortnite, and I don't have a game console, so I guess I can get on my phone. Like, all, often, our, our intentions are innocent enough. But technology is not neutral. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not neutral. I think a better way for us to think about technology, and this is something that you should just remember for the rest of your life, technology is formative. It's formative. Technology forms us. Because the things that we practice, the things that we behold, the things that we put in front of us affect us, perhaps in ways we don't even realize. I'm excited to see what Kevin has in store for us tomorrow when we kind of get more into detail about those kinds of things. But on the front end of the weekend, we need to know technology forms us. Don't think that if my heart's desire starts to grow and grow and grow as it finds itself satisfied, not in hanging out with my friends in person, not in being with my family, not with being out in nature, but trying to win this game. Don't think that that doesn't have an effect on you outside of the game. It, it, don't believe the lie that, that your uh, mindless scrolling through YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is isn't forming you in ways to be allergic to attention and focus. But these are often not costs that you and I think about when we download that app or put that game on the screen. The true gospel, however, gets our eyes off of ourselves, off of our powers, off of our knowledge, and onto our need. Our greatest need is not, in, is not sufficiency. It's not efficiency. It's not productivity. Our greatest need is to have our sins dealt with. Our greatest need is to be made right with God. Because of our heart and because of our actions, we have had a broken relationship with our Creator. And creation cannot do what the Creator can. 
In fact, God is so sovereign over technological progress and human history that he has seen fit in his kindness to bring you here totally inundated by technology. I mean, think about it. You're looking at a screen that's being projected onto by a digital projector connected to a computer that's attached to the internet so that we can get stuff on it. And you're listening to me talk through a microphone that's running through a sound system wirelessly, in fact, that goes through these loudspeakers in a building that's been created by an architect and designed with things like electricity. You got here, probably not on foot, but in a car from a house that didn't just magically appear out in the woods, but was built. You and I cannot escape the fact that we have been brought here and in many ways, technology was the means. But not just brought here, but brought to here. this message. God has used technology to bring the gospel to you and me right here, right now. As we look on these Bibles that were printed, mass-produced with movable typeset printing presses, we read the Word of God. When we read God's Word, we hear Him speak. Whether it's a book or a smartphone or watching on a video, technological marvels have led to gospel proclamation. You'll think about this tomorrow morning, but things like the modern missions movement could not have existed if it weren't for technological progress. If it weren't for transatlantic or if it wasn't for sailing to get us from one country to another, then William Carey and Adoniram Judson and all these missionaries would never have made it to the unreached. So technology has its place. Technology is a tool. And the user of that tool might find it very handy, but it is a terrible God. A terrible God. It will whisper lies to you about who you are and what kind of person you ought to be. It will whisper lies to you about, what, about what's true about you, even though it's not. It will whisper lies to you about what you can and cannot accomplish, what you can and cannot do. So on the front end of this weekend, I'm begging you, don't buy it. Don't believe it. Don't think if you have no access to this kind of current cultural technology, these smartphones and social media and certain games, don't think for a moment that that sound, somehow makes you less of an image bearer of God. Don't think that makes you less able to walk with God in holiness and righteousness. It might mean that you miss out on some things. It might mean that you feel out of place at times, but nothing new is under the sun. Did Jesus ever feel out of place? Did Jesus ever feel left out of things? And in fact, perhaps, even for those of you who do have access to technology, like smartphones, social media, video games, and that kind of thing, there's a, there's a kind of cost that you're paying that your brothers and sisters who don't have that kind of access aren't paying. And perhaps we might be in this room together by God's providence to learn, oh, there's something that I can learn from Him. Oh, there's something that I can learn from her. Oh, there's something that I can actually show them. I'll give you one example. He's going to talk about it tomorrow night, but I'll just kind of briefly mention it here. One of the things that we pay 
when we inundate ourselves with technology is the, the idea of constant input. Right, when I was your age, uh, smartphones were really not that much of a thing. I mean, the iPhone had just come out, um, and you had to be like super bougie to have one of those. Um, and so the idea of me like going to school and interacting with my friends and hanging out and talking to them and that sort of thing, but a lot of my friends didn't have phones at all. We didn't text. You had to like call me on my phone at home or like go to my house if we wanted to talk, right? And you might think like, oh, that sounds terrible. But here, here's the deal. When I got home from school, I could kind of turn that, that, some of those things off. I could just kind of be myself. I could kind of just exist and not have to worry about the notifications coming in about this video uh, or this, this thing that I'm subscribed to coming out with a new video or this new TikTok that's being viral today that I didn't hear about 10 minutes ago and now I feel like I'm totally going to miss out if I don't watch 37 videos of it right this minute. You just can't. You can't get off the can't get off the ride. You stay on all the time. You don't think that has an effect on you? When for thousands of years of human history, there's been this rhythm to life that when like the sun goes down, we kind of stop doing stuff because we can't see anymore. I mean, think about this. Even the idea of electricity and light bulbs in our homes is this kind of recognition that we don't want to live with limits. But that was the way humanity lived for a long, long, long time. You think that doesn't have an effect on us? So the God of technology has brought you here tonight by the means of technology to tell you technology is something that He is in control over. So don't get it confused. God is sovereign. Technology is not. Neither are you. And the needs that you and I have are needs that can only be dealt with by the one who created it all. And so the hope of the gospel of Jesus is this recognition that yes, our God is the maker of all things and he's the maker of makers. You and I as created in God's image have this capacity, this knack to Form things and create things. It's one of the ways we image and reflect his character. But we don't need to get confused about what is creature and what is creator. And the good news of the gospel is no matter what your use of technology is right now, the offer is open to have your actual needs met. You're looking for identity, you're looking for affirmation, you're looking for uh, encouragement, you're looking to be known by someone, Jesus stands before us. And the good news of Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, learn from me, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. I don't know about you, but when we're constantly inundated by technology, I just get tired. I get tired of all the noise. I get tired of what people are saying. I get tired of how people act on the internet that they would never act in person. We know people like this. Maybe that's you. It's like being on a choppy sea. It's like being on stormy waters. We, we don't really have a, a balance of what's going on. But God's Word tells us that 
God is the rock of ages. We can stand on him with sure footing. So I don't know where you are as it relates to using technology. Maybe you have no access. and You're thinking, I'm like basically an Amish kid at Fuel Weekend, which is kind of weird. That's fine. Maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you have parents who, who just trust you a lot and say, look, here's a smartphone, here's internet access, here's access to all these apps, and, and you just don't do stupid stuff. If I were a betting man, you've done stupid stuff. We've all done stupid stuff. I don't need technology to do stupid stuff. I don't need technology to make wicked decisions. But the allure of technology that whisper in our ear might lead us to places that we don't want to go. And here's my hunch. My hunch is all of us in the room for various reasons related to technology or not, but especially for this weekend related to how we use technology, have parts of our lives that if we're honest, cause us to carry around a lot of shame. And maybe it was through no malignant intent on you that you found yourself using technology in a way that you know doesn't honor God, that you know doesn't lead to life, that you know doesn't lead to righteousness. It may just be the cure for boredom. It may be the cure to your lust. It may be the cure to your anxiety. It may be the cause of your anxiety. But perhaps some of us in the room are stuck or caught not caught like I see you in the grocery store grabbing apples and putting them in your coat and going, ha-ha, I caught you, right? Or like when I catch my son throwing food in random places, right? Over Christmas break, can't tell you how many times it was like, son, we don't throw insert name of food here into the Christmas tree. Like macaroni, done. Meatballs, yes. Hot dog, absolutely, right? And he'll be like, Greg, get it. Our dog. But like, Greg, get it. I'm like, no, son, it's not an ornament. Like, you don't throw mac and cheese in the tree. Like, I catch him. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of us, in the way that we've used technology before, or maybe a pattern of life of how we use technology even right now, has us caught like we're in the lake and our foot gets stuck on a root. It's that kind of caught. We're stuck. We can't get out. And the good news of the gospel is that God gives you and me a rescuer. He gives us someone who can bring us out of our sin. He gives us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So this weekend, my prayer is that you would get unstuck. Maybe, maybe the hold that technology has on you is small. Maybe it's great. But I'm convinced of what I said on Wednesday night. I'm convinced that for some of us, there's going to be things on our devices that need to go. Not like for a couple of weeks or for a season, but like for good. Because we're going to learn that we need to ask questions about our technology that maybe the world isn't asking. And my other hope and prayer for you is that you might come to the end of this weekend and recognize that God has given you gifts in the people that he's put around you, particularly your mom and your dad. Because what you and I need is wisdom. and He's given you people in your life who are wise. Not perfect. None of us are. But further down the road, 
than you. And so you might go to them and say, Mom, Dad, I want to be wise when it comes to my phone. I want to be wise when it comes to video games. I want to be wise when it comes to being on social media. Will you help me? Will you give me some tools? Will you give me some practices? Will you let me talk to you? That's my hope and my prayer. But none of those things, getting wisdom from mom and dad, that's helpful. But just like technology, that's not going to solve the main problem. Main problem is, God, what do I do with this sin? What do I do with this brokenness that I feel? With this shame that I carry? What do I do with this unrighteousness that I, if I'm honest, I hate about me? And the good news of the gospel is very simple. If you will come to Jesus, he will take your shame away. The good news of Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you cannot be condemned. It's not that you don't have any condemnation now, but maybe one day later if you do something super stupid on the internet, the condemnation comes back. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my hope tonight, as Joe and the crew come back up to lead us in a time of response, is that you would know with clarity. When I think about my life, when I think about how I use the things that God has put before me, that is given, He's given me access to, am I condemned or not? Has Jesus taken away my shame? Has Jesus taken away my guilt? For some of you, that means recognizing you don't know Jesus. You've never come and brought your sin before Him. You've never turned from your sin in repentance and believed in Him with faith. I pray that, that might be what the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see. For some of you in the room, you, you do walk with Jesus, but you fail to see that there really is no condemnation. You believe that He saved you from hell, but it's hard to believe that He saved you from shame today. My prayer is that you might Go to someone who can help you see that you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in the dark. You can live in freedom. You can live in the light. So wherever you are, my hope and prayer is that as we stand and respond, we would respond as the Lord Jesus leads us to do.